you know, I think it's a good starting point, you know, like get a, get a, read a book and figure out, okay, this is going to be our plan and follow that, but also uh, continue to build upon that and read from, you know, read broadly, read widely from other sources. And I think what you start to see is that sometimes there are some commonalities among different advice and that is kind of like, okay, well, maybe there's something to this point about saving 10 to 15% of my before tax income because that's what all the books say. Welcome to the Millennials and Money podcast, the podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to continue to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and wealth advisor, Payne Boyer, invites a millennial guest on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. This week, I have my first Gen X guest. And not only, not only is it my first Gen X guest, it's my first couples guest. So this is a one of very, for a very special treat. So let me introduce you. First, there's Keith Robinson. And then there's, I know I'm going to butcher this, Tanisha, is it, is it Boyer? Boyer <laughs> I know your, you know what my last name is. <laughs> no, it's Tanisha Boye Robinson. That's why it's my cousin. Say hello, guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> so uh, I'm allowing you guys the second here to introduce yourself. And normally at this point, I share how we know each other, but I'm sure everyone already knows you're my cousin. So that's how I know you. So I'll just share one of um, my earliest memories of when I first met you, Keith. So you guys first came to our house in Sacramento. It had to be like 2001, 2002. You guys were just getting ready to get married. I was still fat back then. So I was like a little short fat kid. And um, I remember I was doing this dance called the Statue of Liberty. Do you guys remember that? Yes. <laughs> it was like, the, the dance never caught on, but um, that's one of my earliest memories of you guys. You know, you guys were, I think you guys were still students at that time, were you? I think so. I don't know. I think we were, we were, we, that's well, when we went to the, um, to Lake Tahoe. We were still students. Then. Were we still students? Okay. Yeah. We're yeah. old. Obviously, you called us your predecessors. Like, we're like old people. So, <laughs> I don't know, baby. It's so long ago, I can't remember. <laughs> Well, you guys have always been a couple that I could look up to. You know, you guys are doing great things. You're still doing awesome things. and continue just to do better and better things. So I'm always striving, trying to catch up with you guys. So I appreciate what you do. And I'm sure you guys will be an awesome guest for my show. So go ahead and just give some of your background. Let's not get into how you guys met yet. We'll go there later. But it's just <laughs> what you guys need to do for a living and some of what motivates each of you. We'll start with you, Kez, because ladies first. Oh, thanks. I'm uh, the CEO of Cafe Q. It's a company I founded in 2011. We recently did a rebrand re a couple of years ago. So Cafe Q stands for Capitalism and Emotional Intelligence. And one of the things that motivates me is my kids. Okay, what about you, Keith? Yeah, so um, I am a law professor at uh, the SMU Denman School of Law. I've uh, been on the faculty since 2011. Um, was the question was what motivates me? Some of what drives you, what motivates you to keep doing what you're doing? Uh, I just like learning. So just learning uh, and learning how to, to just be the best me that I can be every day. So that's what motivates me. Okay, awesome. So tell, tell, tell us and the listeners how you guys met. 
You tell the story. Yes. <laughs> well, we met at uh, we met in college, so we met. Uh, we both went to to Duke for college. Um, we were the pretty much the only two black electrical engineers in our class. So um, we started out just sort of as classmates in the same classes and, uh, and study partners. Um, and a funny story, like before, kind of in between when we were uh, like engaged and married and before like everyone was on Facebook, people would ask, you know, if they'd see one of us, they'd say, hey, whatever happened to, you know, that girl you used to study with? Like, oh, yeah, I married her. So <laughs> people, I mean, people were very used to just seeing us together all the time because they knew kind of that we, you know, we studied together. But um, obviously, uh, our relationship grew and became more than that and, you know, ended up getting married. We have two kids and uh, that's pretty much the story in a nutshell. All right, thanks for sharing that. So you hear that, listeners? Get in the study group as soon as possible and wipe her up. <laughs> no, it's funny that you guys mentioned. I'm glad you guys are such an awesome couple and doing such great things. I was actually reading an article the other week, and an attorney actually came number two of the most difficult people to be married to. It was it was second it was second only to a boyer. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true, cause. <laughs> so Keith, I really admire you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, so um, so let me get here. Hold on one second. I kind of lost my train of thought with that joke. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay, so um, going back to like, I always find that people's overall mindsets around money and. Um, kind of, kind of the cornerstones that get in place from, from childhood. You know, they can always be changed, but I think that's where a lot of those staples and cornerstones first originate. So let's talk about what money was like in each of your households as you were coming up. Let's start with you again, Cass. Yeah. So uh, I think my parents would agree with this. My parents had me really young, so money was always something where we had enough to take care of ourselves, but it wasn't like it was abundant. I used to, I used to remember whenever we would go hang out with your family, like, oh my God, Peyton's family's rich. We were always talking about you guys being rich and having all this money and doing all these things. And so I think, you know, it, there wasn't a lot of like, and what I would call financial hygiene, you know, it wasn't a lot of talk about savings. There wasn't a lot of uh, talk about a lot of that stuff. It was really more about, do we have enough to take care of ourselves and to do the things that we want to do? And, and that was about it. So I kind of carried that into my adulthood and found myself like trying to figure out how to build good financial habits from there. Yeah, for me, um, my, uh, I remember my, my parents uh, opened a, a checking account for me probably when I was in fourth or fifth grade and at that time, the only thing that I used my money for really was was comic books. Um, and I would, you know, go go to the weekly comic book store and buy my comic books, like write a check for my comic books. And so that was sort of my first introduction to money is just sort of understanding, uh, okay, 
I get this much, my parents give me this much money each month for an allowance. I wanna buy my comic books each week. This is how much I can afford each week and sort of balancing my checkbook. And this, you know, this is before um, obviously any apps or software. So I'm actually doing it by hand. So that was my, my first introduction to money was just sort of from a personal finance standpoint and dealing with uh, allowance and balancing a checkbook. So I did get that, that education uh, early, uh, at least as far as that goes. I think that's a difference between, even that's a difference between Keith's family and my family. Cause I remember for, we didn't have an allowance. So, you know, I would babysit yeah, when I was younger. So I used to do a lot of babysitting locally if I wanted money. And then as I got older, I started to work. So I worked part-time. I worked at, um, I was a part-time secretary at a real estate office and I worked at Dairy Queen for a while. So I would work in order to pay for like student fees for things that I had or clubs I wanted to go to because I just didn't want to be a financial burden to the family. Yeah, so that, that, that's two big different backgrounds. Now, I had no idea that Keith, you were like balancing a checkbook at a young age to buy comic books. That, 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 that could make a large impact on you as you travel into adulthood and start becoming more responsible. And I think it's so important that we kind of instill these, these um, methods and these, these things into our children at a young age. So coming from two different financial backgrounds, how has it been merging those two backgrounds together to form one financial household? You guys are both smiling. Who wants to go first? <laughs> I could go first. Yeah. I, I know you had me go first a lot, but I would say, you know, Keith, Keith came in. I, I like to look at it as like risk pro profiles. I think Keith and I have slightly different risk profiles, even if you think about our career choices. Like I'm an entrepreneur. Keith's a law professor. But I would say that um, a book that we read when we first got married that was really helpful for us was Smart Couples Finish Rich. It's I think it's by David Bach with the person's name. I, I've never heard of that book. I'll be sure to put it in the show notes. Yes, it's an old book. I don't I hope they still write it, but we it was one of the first financial books we read when we got married. And it's really about looking at money as a way to express your values. And so one of the first things that we did before we got married was kind of come up with, they have this exercise where it's like, what are your values individually? And then what are your values as a couple? And then based on your values as a couple, what are the financial choices that you wanna make in order to live your values? And so that was that was really helpful for me from a mindset shift because money, money always had this kind of scarcity feeling for me and that I had to like go find it or go do things to get it. And that made me feel um, more in control, I'd say, of, of money and, and more, um, instead of letting the money guide me, letting me guide the money. So I love that answer. I'm not sure if you guys have heard any of the other episodes, but I always talk about the money purpose plan. And it's really just, it's purposing all my clients' money into what their values are. So the first step I do, thing I do with my clients is sit down, I figure out what is they really value because it's it's so much easier. You feel so much better spending money in your areas that you value. So it's actually, it might feel restraining at first, any budget does. But when you realize, you know, I'm being more liberal in the areas I value, you, you feel so much better about your spending. And it's a, and as I always say, as long as your lining's are spending, as long as your spending is aligned with your values, you're going to feel okay about your life. Um, I guess the only thing I would... I, I would add to uh, what Ty said is that um, we did read that book. I think we read a few more. We did. 
So I think it's important to not get your financial advice just from like one particular source. Um, you know, I think it's a good starting point, you know, like get a, get a, read a book and figure out, okay, this is going to be our plan and follow that, but also uh, continue to build upon that and read from, you know, read broadly, read widely from other sources. And I think what you start to see is that sometimes there are some commonalities among different advice and that is kind of like, okay, well, maybe there's something to this point about saving 10 to 15% of my before tax income because that's what all the books say. So maybe that's maybe that's good advice, right? And, and so, you know, there are some things that, um, that you'll see that are common across those books that you probably could feel confident taking as, um, as, as a fact or a really good advice. And then there are other ways in just, just which some books uh, talk about information or talk about how you should set up uh, a spending plan or whatever um, that you know might speak to one person over the other one. So I think it's important to also not just you know read broadly, like I said. Yeah, and I I mean I I'd, I'd also add Peyton that there's a so we read a lot, but then there's still just a lot of trial and error as you mm -hmm. figure out what works for you. So. When I think about us and our finances, every couple has to figure out, do we like pool all of our money or do we have separate money? Um, you know, how do you run your budget for the, the month and, and all sorts of things. So we went through multiple iterations before we got to what we do now, which is we, we each have our own individual accounts and then we have a shared pool of money that's for our joint expenses. And we have, we alternate CFO. And that was something that was important to me because I read a lot about how women oftentimes didn't have a good handle on their household finances. And so every month, one of us is in charge of like what's going on with the budget. And then we take each other's notes and we share. And that's how we keep on top of, of upcoming expenses and our current expenses. I really like that idea a lot. You know, I feel many times on the couples I meet with, like there'll be one CFO and one kind of like bookkeeper and one will kind of track the, the, but it's important that you guys switch roles. I really like that because it gives them both a taste of managing the finances and being responsible, especially when you deal with so many couples and if sometimes one, one partner is left behind when one passed, the other one's kind of left behind with things up in there and not knowing what to do because they've never, been in that CFO world. So I really like that idea a lot. So let me, um, you guys both, I didn't realize you guys both went to school to be mechanical engineers. And I don't think either one of you guys are a mechanical engineer. So what happened there? <laughs> First of all, it's electrical, electrical engineer. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, we both use our engineering degrees just in different ways. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the good thing about um, our degree, our undergraduate degree is that, and, and where we went to school, is it really taught us how to think and solve problems. And that can be applied to almost any other field. And so um, the other thing is, I, I guess, I think we weren't afraid to um, pursue other interests. I think it kind of gave you the confidence that, hey, I figured out 
how to get this electrical engineering degree, I could figure out how to do pretty much anything if I, you know, put in enough time and effort into it. And so I think that's pretty much what happened is yeah. we both worked in our fields for a couple of years yeah. and then, you know, grad school kind of happened and, you know, led us in different directions. Yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. I love that engineering mindset of that problem solver's mindset. And you guys pretty much can do anything at that, that point. I had another guest on my show, uh, Henry Sanchez. He he graduated with an um, electrical engineering degree from UC Davis. Uh, no, from my, I'm sorry, Chico State, from Chico State. And um, and he, and now he sells Cutco knives. But like his business is super successful because he realized how to make it work. And that's kind of what you learn with those engineering skills. On his episode, he shared a lot about how he's been able to take those skills that he learned in school and use them in his everyday life to build a successful business. So let's talk about a way you've done that. Uh, let's start with you, Tanisha. What are some ways you've used your engineering skills to build your current business? Sure. So I have a book called Just Change, How to Collaborate for Lasting Impacts. And in that book, I walk through um, work I've done with cities across the country to help them solve pressing needs in their community, whether it's unemployment with African-Americans or education in low-income areas. And so much of social impact issues are actually really about systems. And engineering is all about systems. It's how you pull together a whole bunch of different components to achieve the outcome you're trying to achieve. And when you think about the systems in, from a social impact standpoint, there are lots of systems that either work for or against your success. And so much of that work is about, people think it's about just um, picking a program or picking a policy, but it's really the iterative process that systems and engineering is. It's not one system can work without the other. And so sometimes you have to kind of iterate on, well, if we do this with education, how does it affect housing? If we do this with housing, how does it affect food? And you have to keep iterating in those systems until you get to the outcomes that you want. So that's that's kind of a big picture engineering application to social change. And it kind of circles back to what Keith was saying about the different books you guys read and different concepts you guys learned you guys would think about how to manage your own finances in your household and taking pieces from here and pieces from there and figuring out what works for you. And that's what a lot, a lot of these um, kind of financial gurus out there, they're speaking to masses, but there's no one concept fits all for financial planning. And I like that fact that you guys pick your pieces from here and pick your pieces from there, there and you guys engineered a plan that worked best for you guys. So let's talk about you, Keith. What are some ways you use engineering to kind of motivate your students and help your students, especially in this time of the pandemic where I'm assuming you're teaching from home. Yeah, so, I mean, I think the, the main thing that you have to manage now is, um, is a, a, attention. And um, you know, one of the things that I try and do is, you know, help my students manage their attention. Um, you know, that's, that's in the classroom and also outside of the classroom and you, you know you only have a, a limited amount of each day you only have a limited amount of attention that you can put into something and you know the one thing about law school um as you probably observed is it's a lot of a lot of reading and i you know i tell my students up front and i'm honest with them look this is not the most 
sometimes it's not the most exciting thing to to read, especially at 1 a.m. So you know, don't try and don't try and read uh, you know 50 Supreme Court opinions at at one in the morning. It's not gonna work out well for for anybody. And so just you know, kind of giving my students advice on how to manage their attention, how to manage their day, and also you know, the re the reality that anything that you want to do and want to do well is going to require some amount of sacrifice. And so the, you know, the balanced day that you, you had uh, before law school where you were able to, you know, work out for an hour and a half, spend time with family, watch, you know, two hours of Netflix and do your job. It's just not, it's not reasonable, but it's temporary, right? It's not going to always be like that. Um, and so maybe you can find balance over a longer period of time, like balance over the course of a week or a month, um, instead of trying to balance out each, you know, each day as a perfect slice of a day. So I talk to my students a lot about, about those techniques and how to sort of think about, um, think about their career, think about law school as more of a long-term uh, term thing instead of like a day-by-day ordeal. Yeah, I like that a lot. That's really creative. And I think it's when motivating people, you got to be creative. And like said, it comes back to the engineering, you figure out how can I motivate these students to get that well balanced. And that balance is so important. Like even when I'm talking to my clients about, you know, financial planning or, or goal-based planning, planning for a specific goal, there's going to be trade-offs they have to make just like your students have to make for the result that they're tracking towards. And I think it comes down to really visualizing, keeping your eye on that prize of where you're trying to get. So this is all about helping younger people, millennials uh, geared towards success, success. So let's talk about you guys. What are some things you guys can kind of share with younger people who might be preparing to, to get married or might be graduating college and couples, couples specifically? of some things they need to prepare themselves for so they're not hit with a smack truck by surprise. <laughs> you go first, I keep going first. So I would say, I, would, I, I think the main thing is, um, if I had to look back, I would probably try and learn a little bit more about how the, the stock market worked a little bit earlier. Uh, than I did. And I think there are a lot of great tools that exist now that don't, uh, that didn't exist when I was sort of coming out of school uh, and, and getting into the market. Uh, so that would be one. Uh, the other one would be, I think, um, you know, Ty and I talk about this all the time when we were, we didn't have kids and we were working and, you know, we kind of just say, what, what happened to all of that disposable income? <laughs> what are we doing I, yeah i think I, I think it i think it is uh it is a, it is important you know if you, once you get out in the real world have a job it's important to kind of enjoy uh enjoy that time but definitely at a minimum try and establish some sort of basic plan where you're saving some some of your money uh, even if it's not a lot, just so you can get into the habit. Um, I, I certainly, I don't regret the, you know, the fun we had 
and you know using that disposable income um but i do wish some of it was around right now so <laughs> yes so that would be my that would be my tips yeah. I would say I always say like that when people ask me like what's some quick financial tips you can tell you, you can tell me like for quick on the go I say look enjoy your life now and save something <laughs> like you, you got to save something you got to be intentional when it comes to saving especially young uh, coming out of school and wanting to enjoy life it, just save something just build that habit off the bat yeah I think I mean, when I think back from us first getting married it feels so overwhelming that you're like, eh, well, we'll do that later. We'll do that later. Yeah. And I agree with the, like, if you save a little bit, it seems so trite, but it grows and, yeah. and you're just not paying any attention to it. And it would have, you would have been, we would have been in a different place, but I think we did do a good job with like 401k. So we, we, you know, both contribute to our 401k. I think that is something that we're pretty consistent about. I, I tend to think more about like the emotional side of finances to the point you were saying around people bring their habits from a family, from your family. And I think um, being mindful that you as a couple evolve and so your financial choices or desires will evolve too and you have to be able to kind of work together and communicate to, towards it. So one of the biggest financial, I, there, I tend to be the one who's always agitating our system. I'll just own it. So mm -hmm. we both had two full-time jobs working for big companies and then I'm going to go start a nonprofit and Keith's like, wait, what? And so I'm taking a financial cut of what I would have gotten coming out of business school because of my passion. So we had to like talk through that. Or when I decided to start my business, I cashed in my 401k to be able to cover my expenses while I was launching. It was like, like, wait, what? Are we going to be able to take care of ourselves and our family? What is that? What are we doing? And then um, when Keith decided to be a law professor, we moved, had to move the whole family. So there's like these big financial implications as you grow and change as individuals that you have to be able to be comfortable navigating as a couple. And that's tough. It's hard. And I think our, our background of being study partners actually equipped us to muscle through some of that stuff. But I've had several friends who are couples who said, you know, the couples who make it are not the ones who didn't have problems. They're the ones who made it through the problems. And I think that's, that's kind of why we're still here and why we still like each other. And he's cute. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I love that um, you shared that, you know, so kind of just to summarize what I think I heard, you guys correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong. First of all, it's keep that, get some fine, learn what you can about stocks and investing off the bat. Like start a little earlier, save some money, save things. It's important to save. Start that as soon as possible. Like you said, you guys are responsible for saving your 401k and I'm sure you guys are happy about that too. And then communicate. It's so big to communicate when you, especially for newlyweds. Because like you said, you mentioned you came from two different back financial backgrounds. And then it's natural as humans to think everyone thinks the way you think. So so the way you feel about finances, you might assume your partner feels about finances. Like, yes, you cash out my 401k to start a business. That's, this is a great idea. I'm sure he feels the same way. But it's important to communicate those things and figure out, figure out why somebody feels the way they do and the, and the reasoning behind their, their opinion. And, Take that in consideration. So I say communication around money specifically is huge, especially for newlyweds. Um, I kind of side note here as a financial advisor, 
we always tell our clients never cash out your 401k to start a business. But that being said, any independent financial advisor I've met, every single one has cashed out their financial advisor, their, their 401k to start their practice, including, my, <laughs> including myself. We, we all did it. Hilarious. <laughs> I I have not met one independent financial advisor who didn't do it to start his own business. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. I mean, we read you'll the theme with us is we read a lot. So when I was kicking it around as an option, Keith read, read multiple articles, I read multiple articles, and I actually made back the money. You know, it, I, I won't get into it, but yeah, it, it's not, it is, it is a risky bet. It's not something that, that you should do or can do without partnership. And so I'm just grateful that Keith was willing to partner with me on it. I'm the same thing. Partnership and agreement. Make, make sure you get agreement from your spouse because they're on that ride with you either way. So make sure if they're in agreement, then you feel comfortable moving forward. And I, and I know you work with a few business owners. We'll talk more about what you do for a living, but you know, like I know the return on a business, a business, a sound business is that you can't be masked anywhere as far as like investing. Then can, but so it can be a great investment investment if you have a sound plan and you actually have the reserves set aside to make your business happen. It does make sense for some. So let's talk about what is it that you actually do, Kai, with your nonprofit? It's a for profit. So I work I'm with. I'm sorry. Uh, it's okay. I'm sorry. You know what? It's all right. It's a for-profit. So I work with public sector, private sector, and philanthropy to help them build social impact into the way they do their work. And that's that's it in a nutshell. So from a from a financial standpoint, now that I've had the business for a while and, and cash flows are stable, I've been able to hire a couple of people. And also um, there's there's financial mechanisms I wasn't aware of beforehand, but I can match my 401k with my business as an individual. So there are ways for me to catch up on some of my 401k investment, which is, which is good. So I'll be back whole pretty soon on that, which is good. That's great. So, you know, we talked about both your guys' backgrounds and upbringing financially, but you guys are, are, are parents as well of young children. So what are some ways that you talk to your kids about money and help them hopefully follow in your guys' footsteps, at least the, the, the good footsteps you guys made. Yeah, so, I mean, piggybacking, piggybacking off of what I was saying about investing. So we opened, uh, Dylan, who's 13, uh, we opened a, um, a brokerage account for him. So he's already started investing oh, wow. in, um, in stock. But I mean, it's, uh, it's fractional shares, it's through, uh, stockpile, um, which is a you know an app that he has on his iPad, and he can go and research and buy and sell fractional shares of stock just to get him sort of uh, you know invested and in, in thinking about uh, the stock market, um, which is good. I think he he he's actually enjoyed it and seen that oh you know I you know my stocks did well today. I made some money. He gives them sort of like a, a day by day update, which I think is really cool. He also has, we also have a, you know, he has a checking account. He has some money in that uh, that we put in monthly as a monthly allowance. And so he's, you know, able to, he doesn't buy much, but he's able to, when he wants to go and 
see how much money he has and buy something. I think the last big thing he bought was his iPad, actually. So he went and bought his own iPad because uh, he had money saved up from not buying other stuff. So that that was kind of a good lesson. And, you know, he has cracked the screen on his iPad several times and he kind of kind of knows, oh, I bought this and this is something that I need to take better care of. Um, so that's been a good lesson for him. And our, our youngest uh, daughter, Sydney, she just turned five. Um, so I suspect we'll start talking with her about money and uh, responsibility as her math skills get better um, in the, you know, in the next year or so. Although she's always asking Dylan, how's Disney stock doing? Yeah, that's which true. Is hilarious. Yes. <laughs> Dylan, how's Disney doing today? Which cracks us up. <laughs> And I think, I mean, I think that goes back to the setting their habits up where they're not um, intimidated by like some of the financial things that both Keith and I were when we were younger in different ways. Also, we have, you know, this is not their habits, but we've been putting money away in their 529. So they both have uh, 529 saving plans that we've been working on. We want to continue to increase the amount, but it's the same mindset, like making sure we're putting some some money away for their college education as we go. Are they allowed to use that 529 to go to North Carolina? No. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now we'll just take a tax hit on that. Yeah, we'd rather see flush <laughs> down the toilet. <laughs> That's the contingency, the one contingency. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, 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 how old is Dylan? How old is Dylan? 13. Okay, that's that's awesome. You know, he's getting that the, the, the idea of what stocks are, you know, especially in the minority community in particular, that we don't know it, it the slightest thing about investing. Like, I have clients who just think of their 401ks, you know, that my money grows. They don't understand that they're investing and buying shares of companies. So, playing those seeds early, that's one thing I heard. Like, just, I'm sure you're not, he's not investing a ton of money, but at least he knows what a stock is, what it means to have equity in the company. He's learning habits that we didn't learn at a young age, at such a young age. And then secondly, you mentioned he broke he broke his screen on his um, iPad. And he's like, man, I need to take care of it because he's, you value something more when you buy it. <laughs> when, you, when your parents buy it for you, it's okay, they buy me another one. They, they got endless money. But when you buy it, you know exactly how much money you have you learn to value things in different ways. So I like that a lot. Yeah. I, and also just, uh, you know, the other thing is that I found interesting that I didn't know was going to happen when we got on this brokerage account is some, you know, some days the stocks do really bad and he'll say, you know, he'll, he'll just say in passing to us, well, what, what happened today? Right? Like what, what, what news was there or what happened in the news? What happened in the world that caused, the value of these stocks to decrease. And then we can kind of have that conversation about how um, outside forces influence the stock market and vice versa. So it's been a nice, uh, it's been a, a nice byproduct of that is that he's more interested in the news because he sees how it affects his, uh, his the money in his account. I think the other the other thing uh, we're doing with Dylan and actually Keith 
I had tried for a while, but he and I, <laughs> I would get frustrated with him. But um, he has a, a hand sanitizer business now that he's started. So he sells, he makes his own hand sanitizer and sells it. And it's been interesting to teach him like cost of goods sold, like, hey, how much does it cost for you to make your hand sanitizer? How much does it cost for you to buy the bottles? What's the price point you're going to sell it at? So he sold a few bottles and things like that. But I think it's just, once again, giving him like multiple perspectives of finance from if he's in a company, how do the business finances work to like him personally, how does savings work or where his choices are? So it's been fun to see him do that <laughs> as well. He, he does. I like that. I like that. I like both those things quite a bit, man. That's, I'm sure our listeners can definitely benefit the young parents out there by teaching their kids things like that, especially like investing early and understanding what it means to, to buy a stock. And like one thing I didn't even think about is how it makes them aware of what's going on. Like you mentioned, Keith, he asked, so what happened today, dad? Like what happened? Like why the market's down? What happened internationally or nationally that caused this? Like there's no little 13 year olds asking that question. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then as far as the, the profit, check, uh, gauging his profit margins on his business, cost of goods, like that, that's huge. You guys are doing an awesome job there. And I'm sure my listeners will, hopefully my listeners will implement, uh, implement some of these things that you've done to raise your children. So we, we all know 2020 has been a wild year. You know, there's a lot going on and it's very easy to get a sense of uncertainty because we're in what is uncertain times. But as a couple, and speaking speaking specifically as a couple, what are some of the ways that you guys have been able to maintain a sense of certainty in what's otherwise uncertain times? You know, Keith actually has done a really good job with that. I I um I think it's all about habits and rituals, and so um when things were really crazy, which we have both kids at home, didn't know how long they were gonna be home and working virtually at school, figuring stuff out. We we came up with, Keith had like little games that we would play that we would make up or, in, you know, we had like a new schedule. We would, we would have these, we, Keith and Dylan had this like, made up this football competition <laughs> that they were doing. And so for like, two or three weeks we're like oh where are you guys on your football competition and, and Sydney and I would be out there like oh go Dylan go go Dada or whatever and it just gave us something fun to do to look forward to and then we built kind of a rhythm on like okay this is our schedule for who's watching who so this combination of fun in the rhythm and like consistent consistency so you kind of create your own expectations around it helped us as a family I'd say. Yeah, I think um, I think you just have to have some sort of routine or schedule. And again, it doesn't have to be daily, but maybe over a week. I'm going to do this on Monday. I'm going to do this on Tuesday. And that that's definitely helped us from a you know financial perspective. I think the habits that we built before the pandemic kind of have helped us now. I, we haven't really changed much. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the pandemic, we just sort of continued to alternate who does the finances month by month and uh, communicated on that. And, you know, that that has been pretty steady uh, throughout. So we haven't really, you know, had to change much on that end, which, you know, would 
I'm thankful for it at least. Yeah. We have a we have a a thousand dollars quick emergency savings and then we have I keep three months of my salary in in our account because my we, we learned this early on in the business, depending on how accounts payable is going or accounts receivable is going. Sometimes like I get large chunks of money in different ways. And that was adding like uncertainty for our personal finances. So we keep I keep like a cushion of my salary in there. And so that helped us in COVID because. I had a couple of accounts that just went radio silence for about a month and a half, which totally freaked me out <laughs> personally with my business hat, but financially we were fine as a family. And so it's, it's those kind of things we didn't have, we weren't rushing to create that. We already had it. Okay. So that's two things I heard there, two, two over, uh, two, two main topics I heard. I'll start with the, the, the second thing I heard actually was, um, was that emergency reserves and, and, the, well, the emergency reserves, there's no one, it's like the, the least sexy part about financial planning, but what it does, it gives you peace of mind and, and, and it allows you to think rationally, like you shared, like as a business owner, yeah, you were wondering like, well, these well, these people went dark on me, what's going on? Do I still have their business? But at least you're still able to think rationally, not in panic mode because you have some reserves set aside and same with the household reserves, having that money there to keep things on track as your as things are going up and down all over your overview but you, you're keeping things on track because you have that cushion that gives you peace of mind to think rationally and make decisions and then the second the first thing i heard the one, the one that i really like is um the consistency of having a routine and i think what that comes down to is having something that you know you can depend on and and it and it's easy like i said it's easy to get uncertain when things are uncertain but when you have something that you can consistently depend on that you know day after day this is here, like those games that Keith, you came up with to do as a family, like they know whether it's once a week or whatever day it is, they know, oh, well, this is coming. We know this is coming. And that helps not only the kids, of course it helps children. Like They need that dependency to know that mom and dad do this this day. We do this with mom and dad this day. We know no matter what's going on in the world around us, we can still depend on that. And as adults, we need that same thing. So I think that's huge. I really like that a lot. So I know you guys got a Duke game to get to, to, uh, to watch. So I know you guys are ready to get this thing over with. So let's get to the uh, last question. I've really had a lot of fun having you guys on. So this is this is two questions in one. I kind of want you guys to take some time and answer this together if you guys can. So first is, what does financial success mean to you as a couple? And then second is, what does marriage success look like for you guys as you guys look into the future? And I don't know how you guys want to answer it or who wants to go. Um, so I'll go. I, financial success means, you know, us being able to retire and live the life that we want to live. Our, making sure our kids actually have the rent runway that they need to be successful and start their own lives. And us to be able to to do things that we enjoy before we re retire. So I think that's I feel pretty good about our pathway on that for financial success. And then marriage success, I think, is about us continuing to love and like each other. You know, like Keith, I've Keith and I have loved each other for a really long time. And I think one of we we just celebrated our 16th wedding anniversary, and we've known each other for over 20 years. 
And I think one of the greatest things about being married to Keith is that I still like him. He's, he cracks me up. He's funny. And so just being able to enjoy, enjoy each other, like honestly enjoy each other's company. And the pandemic actually has, has been great for us in that way. I feel like we've had more time to just chill and hang out with each other, which has been like one of the things I've been really fortunate and blessed about in this crazy time. I, I really have nothing to add to that. Ty said it perfectly. So another lesson about marriage, learn when to shut up. <laughs> uh, I was wondering how you're going to top that. That, that, was, that was great. So let me just reiterate, make sure I heard you correctly. First of all, just being able to enjoy your life and retire comfortably. When you when you retire, be able to eventually retire, know your kids take care of, have their school paid for, and you guys are still enjoying your life. And I like that a lot. For me, financial, financial planning is all about being able to enjoy your life now and tracking towards the future. So you kind of summed it up with what you said. And then marital success is just continuing to like each other. <laughs> and I like that a lot, too, being able to like each other and love each other more and more as time goes on. I was talking to my wife about what parenting success looks like to, to me and my wife. And we came down to, it boils down to having kids that are successful and that love us and love each other. And so you guys are doing a great job, man. I'm really proud of you guys. Even I'm, I'm still trying to catch up to you guys as far as success goes, but I, I do love you guys. And I thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for thanks. having us. This was fun. Yes. All right, God bless. Thank you, cuz. <laughs> Congratulations, guys. You've officially made it to the disclosure portion of the show. I'm an investment advisor representative of securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company, Financial Services, Inc., BFCFS member FINRAS-SIPC. Holmes Financial is independent of BFCFS. Thanks, and have a blessed week.